Well, that's going to be the theme tune to Shano on the radio for as long as this podcast series lasts. This is the first edition, the maiden voyage, if you will. And you're very welcome. My name is Shane O'Donoghue from Clonmel and County Tipperary. Living in Dublin now for the last, gosh, 24 years. And traveling the world for the last 15 years working on golf. But radio was my first love. That's where it all began for me back in October of 1985 when I got an opportunity to fill in on a radio program on a Friday night called Club Disco. So the boy DJ got his opportunity and never looked back. It's always something that uh, had fascinated me anyway since I was very young. How do they do that? Uh, so I always wanted to be on the radio and made that happen as a 14-year-old and did it all through school on CBC, which was the local pirate radio station, moved on to an FM channel called Centre Radio when I was about 15 and uh, also kind of finished up on a radio station called Premier Radio, also broadcast from Clonmel in Jerry Kennedy's garage up on the mountains overlooking our beautiful town. Um, didn't pursue it for a couple of years because I went working trying to uh, earn a crust in London. Uh, came back with my tail between my legs and then just set about re-entering the world of broadcasting, which I did in Galway after a spell in supermarket management, which was never for me. Um, so I started in Galway Bay FM in October of 1993. Holy smoke. That is 27 years ago. Am I right? Can that be right? I think it is. Um, holy God. I'm growing old, folks. Uh, but we're all growing old. It's uh, unstoppable. So, yeah, so I spent four years in RTE then. I got a break with RTE2FM, so I went up there in uh, May of 1996. And then entered the world of sport radio uh, in RTE on Radio 1 and on 2FM in the millennium year. So I hosted a show called Saturday Sport, four-hour sports show, for two years. Uh, during that time as well, I started working with my old pal. We joined around about the same time, actually, Ryan Tuberty, who is now the Johnny Carson of Ireland. But for three years, we had a hit breakfast show on RTE 2FM called The Full Irish. And during that time, I sent a tape over to the BBC. I'm just wondering if I could get an opportunity with their TV golf team. It was always a long-held ambition to work with Peter Alice. And so for that to actually materialise, uh, all I can say is dreams can come true. So I spent seven seasons with the BBC from 2004 until the end of 2010, uh, finishing up with the Ryder Cup at Celtic Manor. And uh, in and around that time, an opportunity presented itself with CNN International broadcast in over 200 countries and the opportunity was to host Living Golf uh, which I have done since then. Uh, there's been a little bit of a hiatus of recent times when the sponsor, the original sponsor Rolex pulled out um, for different reasons. They were just channel channeling their, their energies and their, their money elsewhere but uh, there's a new sponsor on board and the show is coming back very very shortly. We're on a bit of a hiatus like everyone at the moment um, but we will be kickstarting soon enough and I'm delighted to be part of the show hosting again. Um, so that's all happening and I'm doing some work for the European Tour uh, with their world feed on TV 
Uh, you'll see that on Sky or Golf Channel or on all different channels around the world, actually, that carry the European Tour events. So that's enormous fun. Great to be part of those teams. But radio is my first love, and here I am uh, broadcasting from my house in the leafy suburb of Clontarf in Dublin. And uh, I just wanted to do something um, while we're all kind of in self-isolation or engaging in social distancing to do something nice and something that I wanted to do, which was to host my own radio show. Um, And obviously these are called podcasts, but I wanted to actually kind of go back to my roots, which is music and chat. And obviously golf is very much a theme, but it's not uh, the absolute dominating uh, factor in the show. But uh, there'll be plenty of golf. You'll hear some great golfers talking, but right now we just want everyone just to share their experiences of where they're at uh, around the world. And here at home in my beautiful country of Ireland. Um, So that's kind of the mission, is to just have authentic voices on uh, from my little black book and also people that I might stumble across in the street from a social distance and just to get them on. And uh, also to just offer a place of calm. So I want people who will engage with this podcast to know that they have a little safe haven where they can just relax and hear some interesting people who are all normal people, uh, sharing their experiences of their life and times, but also of where they're at as we all engage in this kind of period of global unity for this global problem. And uh, I think the realisation is that everyone is going through the same thing and we've all just got to obey the protocols and try and flatten the curve or the trajectory if you're a golfer. Um, But... uh, I do want to play a lot of music and I want all of my guests to pick music and uh, I'm in a position to do that so we're going to make that happen but I'm going to start this show with a personal track because as a little boy kind of fascinated with radio and wanting to work on the radio and playing around with my parents record collection and fiddling around with the big old bush stereo that we had with the was it a three in one I think or maybe a two in one it had a radio and it had a, a record player Uh, Those are the things that kind of occupied my mind when I would just hang about the house. And uh, I just wanted to kind of go back there a little bit. And what better way than to do it via a song? And here's a man who has inspired so many around the world with his music and his poetry and his artistry. And he happens to be from this small little island called Ireland. And he's in the Northern Ireland section. But we're all one when it comes to music and golf especially and rugby and horse racing and so many other disciplines. Um, Ireland has a complicated past, but we are growing stronger and stronger every day. Uh, But Van Morrison has led the way with his poetry and his beauty and his just magical touch as a musician. And this, I, I think they'll play this at my funeral. Not that I'm anticipating that anytime soon. But uh, I think it's confronting all of us at the moment because we're all kind of thinking more deeply about what is going on and who our loved ones are and what matters. But this song is called In the Days Before Rock and Roll and it's a beautiful song that is about the boy Van Morrison and his inspirations of listening to the radio and going to the races with his father and driving on a Sunday and winning a goldfish at the the races <laughs> and uh, just all the little places of his of his childhood it's an absolutely beautiful track and i love it and it's how we're going to start the show 
That's Van Morrison with In The Days Before Rock and Roll, one of my favourite tracks and a nice kind of uh, personal track to launch this. Uh, we will be playing music regularly on the show going forward. I know that this is the maiden voyage, so uh, look, hopefully there'll be plenty more, uh, but a nice way to start it. And uh, I was kind of thinking about how I would like to do things on the show. Well, obviously, I wanted authentic voices and people who have been in the arena, whether they're golfers or they're politicians or they're actors or they are farmers or jockeys, you name it. Um, everyone is pretty much in the same boat and everyone has been normalized through this uh, global pandemic, which we're all adjusting to at the moment. So I think music is a good way to um, kind of relieve the stress and the strain. And I want this to be a bit of a haven on this particular program where we hear from very interesting people uh, but also get a sense of them as well through their musical choices. So there'll be no pressure on my first two guests. I decided to start with two amazing people uh, in my world of golf and broadcasting. And uh, both of them in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Both of them in the Captain's Club at uh, the Memorial Tournament hosted by Jack Nicholas. So brilliantly, he and Barbara do an amazing job at that tournament every May, June, early kind of... Uh, late Ju late May, early June. It's a, it's a fabulous tournament at Muirfield Village in Ohio, Dublin, Ohio, actually. And here I am uh, broadcasting from Dublin, Ireland today. So, uh, Judy Rankin, good day to you. Good day. How are you? All good. You're in Lubbock in Texas, which is uh, obviously famous for the late, great Buddy Holly. But uh, you've got family there. Is that right? I do. My son, my daughter-in-law and my three grandchildren live here. And um, I have a small place here so that I can... Um, come and spend some time, and uh, I am going back to Midland, Texas, which is my many, many year home um, yeah. here shortly, and I will be um, kind of on my own and locked in for a couple of weeks. Okay, and why is that? Are you going to move back up to Lubbock and spend more time mm -hmm. close to family, or do you need to be quarantined, or is there anything due to your travel and your schedule that is resulting in you having to be on your own? Um, no, well, uh, I suppose you may know. A lot of people may know. I'm not real. I'm not very young, and um, I have a little underlying lung condition, and I'm really, I'm, I'm very afraid of this virus. And yeah. 
quite honestly, I think everyone should be. So um, even my family has not gotten close to me. I've only been up here for a day or so. Um, but anyway, I just had I had a last couple of things to take care of, and um, I'm just going to do everything that we're asked to do. And I um, I, I hope I, I really really hope that. Um, everyone would do that um also on the line and i'm delighted to welcome from los altos in california one of my favorite people on earth it is uh, the great julie ingster how are you julie good how you doing shane not bad what's the weather like in los altos well los altos is as you can tell northern california is uh, we're on um sheltered lockdown so we've been started uh, last tuesday so we're in day of the shelter lockdown, which feels like four weeks, but uh, it's uh, it's scary. It's um, you know we're just trying to do our part and stay away from people, and hopefully this virus will take you know a, a turn to, to slow it down and and people will be um, safe and and they get what's going on because as judy says it's um it's scary time especially for people older people you know i have uh, my parents are still alive and and um, they're a little bit scared and um i think that finally the younger generation are trying are finally getting it that uh it's not really about them it's about passing it on to their parents and grandparents I mean, following on from what Julie's talking about there, obviously her elderly parents, every, like it's a major concern for the elderly at the moment. And I, I think uh, it must be so uh, difficult for everyone to kind of process what needs to be done. But the elderly seem to be very clued in about just staying put. And uh, it's just, it's just, it just requires such a massive effort to uh, look after the elderly. And uh, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Judy? I, I thought it was a bit of a revelation two days ago that we learned that it is not just the elderly, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. that a lot of the people who are hospitalized here are under 50 years old. Mm. So um, um, I think I think everybody at every age needs to pay attention. We are un, we have been blessed, so many of us, to not know anything like this in our lifetime. And um, I, I think... Um, I guess the thing I get from it is, first of all, you do have to um, love your neighbor. Um, but secondly, you just can't love them physically right now. Mm. And um, there is there, there is no room in a situation like this for ego. Mm. Um, you know, everybody has a beating heart. And it's not going to matter if you're rich or you're poor or what color your skin is. Um, it's the same for every single person. So you better check your ego at the door and just be a human being. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and I'm sure, Julie, you'd echo the same thoughts as your great friend, Judy Rankin. Yes. I mean, what Judy said is exactly um, on point. But as uh, having parents that are still alive, you know, your desire is to help them and, you know, be there for them and be there by their side. But the best thing you can do now is stay away. So it's really hard do that you know i've been calling my mom you know once twice a day just to find out how they're doing you know i told them you know we can go pick up some food and just drop it out the front door so 
yes, we're trying to do everything we can. But, you know, the main thing, as Judy says, you know, we just have to check our ego at the door and, and just stay away and, and just try to do our part. It's a very small part, but if everybody does their part, we'll get through this. We will. Um, I think it's time for a little bit of music. And uh, when talking to both ladies in advance of recording this particular interview, uh, Judy, you have a lovely track, which I think we should kick off with. And I want every guest who comes on the show to pick a piece of music. Uh, perhaps you'd tell us what this song is and why it means so much to you. Well, I love the lyrics um, of the song, You've Got a Friend in Me. I think it uh, it refers to so many of our our relationships, our friends, our the people we love in our lives. But the reason, one reason it's really um, important to me is my youngest grandchild, and you're boy his name is Kellen and uh, Kellen and I love that song and since he's been very small we turn it on really loud and dance to it okay and that's a good reason to play it here is the great Randy Newman So that's Randy Newman with uh, You've Got a Friend in Me. What a genius songwriter he is, Oscar winning and just a uh, multi-talented individual. Beautiful song chosen by Hall of Famer Judy Rankin. Um, no pressure on you, Julie, to pick a song in a few minutes' time. Um, so what about family? You've, you've talked about your, your mom and dad. How old are they, by the way, Julie? Uh, my mom is 83. My dad is 84. Wow. And they got you started in the, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, 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 uh, they, you know, they walk every day and, um, you know, they're trying to, um, you know, stay, do their exercises and stuff like that. But, uh, they're, they're being respectful too and, and just, uh, staying at home. 
Yeah, I remember meeting them only once. I didn't get much time to spend time with them because they came and sat in on you and I uh, hosting the U.S. Women's Open at Cordoval, which is just down the road from you, uh, back in 2016. And uh, they, I get, they just they 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 looked very cool and casual watching their daughter, the Hall of Famer Julie Inkster, doing her stuff <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> yeah, they're they're they're. they're they've been great parents. They've been very supportive. They're not golf parents. You know, my dad was a fireman. My mom was a stay at home mom. Um, you know, so, um, they're very supportive of what I do. Um, uh, but they, on the other hand, they never get in my business. Yeah. So you were determined yourself. Well, you got that gene from them, obviously a nice combination and with older brothers as well, kind of, uh, creating that sport, sporting kind of uh, atmosphere in the home, I'm sure, that all inspired you to kind of, uh, and also taught you how to handle guys and uh, be one of the guys effectively, which is what you are, because I know, yeah. I, know, I know you play golf with guys all the time from the tips or from whatever tee they want and whip their ass, so uh, you got to keep on doing that. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure, you know, growing up with two older brothers, you know, a lot of people have older siblings, but... Um, my brothers were very athletic and very, um, they never gave me, um, an inch. So they made me earn everything that I had. And I think it really helped me as far as, um, competitiveness and, and not backing down. But also I do, I love playing golf and I love competing. And I, I do have a great uh, group of guys I play with, um, I think the thing I like about it the best is, is I love to banter. Yeah. And um, that's what I really enjoy about golf is the whole bantering and, and uh, just having a great time out there. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, just to kind of highlight the career that these ladies have had. And uh, Judy, I mean, 28 professional wins around the world, 26 of those on the LPGA Tour. Um, you've won the Bob Jones Award, which is the highest uh, honor that the uh, USGA hand out, but you've received everything from the LPGA's Patty Berg Award. Um, to, to name just a couple, um, it's been an incredible career, and yet you've kind of now lived this extra career as a broadcaster. Um, what are the memories as a player, just as we finish? Uh, what were the highlights for you, or what are the special memories that you take with you every day from having this opportunity to have an extra special life as a, as a uh, professional sportswoman? You know, my playing days um, are just a, a blurred memory. I swear <laughs> it's so long ago. Um, but um, uh, just for your listeners there, one of the great experiences of my life um, was coming to um, Britain and um, playing golf there. It, it gave me in England and as a club, many of you know, which is Sunningdale, um, in outside of London, um, it gave me such a sense of really where the game had come from and all. And I'd had a little history before, but that's a very old story. Um, but as time went on, not only playing, but then um, working um, the television um, side of it for so many years and working at the Open Championship, um, Solheim Cup matches in Wales, um, being in Northern Ireland. I've only visited Dublin. I have not um, been involved in golf there. Yeah. Um, well, I take that back. I have I, I have um, 
played one golf course there, and that is uh, 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 the European Club. Okay, Pat Roddy's so, Classic. Yeah, okay, great. That's right, that's right. So um, uh, all of my experiences um, in, in Britain and Ireland um, are some of the real treasured um, experiences and both playing and um, in television work, but uh, just just for the record, the television work now has been going on for 35 years. Wow. So you can understand why I don't remember that much of uh, <laughs> I do remember the playing days, but um, it's not as clear, and I feel like it's really an old story. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But you have got such a special place in the hearts of so many through your broadcasting, and uh, don't ever stop. Because I think everyone just needs to function. Retirement is for the birds. So don't ever think about retiring. You've got too much still to give. And you've got such a respected voice in, in our sport. And uh, we really appreciate you, Judy. Keep doing what you you're what, doing. You know what, Shane? You, you say a little prayer all the time that uh, that you keep your wits about you so that you can. <laughs> <I know. laughs> what do you have to say about that, Julie? I'm right there with her. She, I mean, yeah, I've, I've just gotten to know Judy probably the last, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years. Um, you know, I've always had a great respect for Judy, but I've really gotten to know her, you know, the last 10 years. And um, I not only respect her, which she does, but, um, you know, we have a lot of fun together. And um, she's just uh, done so much for women's golf. And also really set the bar for us, you know, Dottie Pepper and myself and Kate Cockrell and these these women that are starting to voice their um, on on PGA and on LPGA. Yeah. Um, she set the bar. Um, she's really, you know, in the forefront of women in sportscasting. Yeah, amazing. So, Julie, I think you should tell Shane about um, – our very interesting threesome we had at your house the week we <laughs> were hurt because I think most people would find that kind of humorous. Yeah, so so Judy came in on, on a Monday, and I got hurt on a Monday. But also who joined us in our gruesome threesome was Angel Yin. Oh, wow. 21-year-old, um, just a rising superstar that's played on the, my last two uh, full-time Cups. Yeah. And, I've really gotten to know her and, um, you know, try to help her out a lot. And she lived in LA, so she drove down. And so it was Judy Angel and I for, um, four days and we just, we had the best time. Uh, we cooked in <laughs> one night. Judy made her unbelievable pork chops. Uh, we went to some friend's house one night and, uh, it was just, yeah, the diversity of all three of us, but how we all got along. I mean, that's what golf does. It just brings different age groups and dynamics together. Yeah, it has a unique quality, golf, hasn't it, for bringing people together. What I love about it, and uh, obviously coming from a family of golfers and now having my uh, children and my wife uh, who works in golf, and that's how I met her, and uh, it has this unique way of bringing people together. And it's a sport that can be played by everyone in the family, young or old. And the golf handicap um, situation is very good for kind of leveling the playing field. It's, it, I don't think there's a sport like it. And certainly a sport that you can actually travel the world and play and enjoy. And uh, you've done all of that. Um, if I can finish, though, yeah, Julie. Just, yeah, go on. Go ahead. Please. Especially, I mean, 
you're looking, as you said, all age, all age groups can play together. And and that, that just brings a lot of families together. You know, a lot of people just show up and you don't know them. And by the end of the round, four hours later, you know, you're good friends, you're, you're exchanging emails and phone numbers. And Mm. it's just a great way to um, build relationships. And broaden your horizons as well. I just think it's a it's a unique way to spend time with someone, and that's why I think the corporates like it, and I think that's why pro ams are so successful and such an integral part of professional golf. But I mean, golf is accessible. Uh, you just need to kind of do a bit of research and find out where you can kind of get started, whether it's pitch and putt or just a local muni, and uh, then you can kind of set your high your sights a bit, little bit higher and maybe try and join a club, but. Uh, you know, driving ranges are full. We've, we we see um, certainly in the states, Top Golf and uh, other sort of entities like that are absolutely packed. Um, certainly on weekend nights with with all manner of people who who are not golfers and they're not uh, golfers in the traditional sense, but but it's become this accessible, fun thing to do. Would you agree? Well, I I think you know I, I when I go to the range and I look, I would say you know fifteen years ago it's just kind of all men. And now, now <laughs> I went to the range the other day, and and the women out outside the men. Yeah. So I just think that that's great that more women are getting involved in the game and and enjoying it. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, uh, coming up very shortly, I'll be talking to one of the very impressive band of Irish women who are doing something about that, helping to grow the game, but who have had. Um, exceptional careers as well in golf. Uh, Maria Dunn is a former Curtis Cup player, um, part of the winning GB&I team from 2016. Uh, you played Curtis Cup in 1980, I think, uh, Julie. So 1980. <laughs> yeah, they they still had golf then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. But Mary McKenna, Mary McKenna was on that that side against you back in 1980, and uh, she's still going strong. And hello to Mac. Uh, we'll have Mac on the program. Um, I'm sure in the next uh, couple of episodes, but uh, yeah, it's just important. Yeah, we put it at uh, Denver Country Club, right? In 1980, I remember that because I think um, actually Mary McKenna was a semi-finalist. I know you didn't play against her in the semis, but you won. You were, was it Patty Rizzo you beat in the final? Yeah, I played Carol Semple. Um, wow, Carol Semple Thompson, yeah, ultimate like the Bobby Jones of women's amateur golf. Um, and I, I played her in the uh, in the semis and ended up beating her and then paid Patty Rizzo, who won everything that summer. Um, and I kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it kind of started my career, I guess. I know. It's amazing how the circles intertwine. Uh, Mary McKenna lost to Patty Rizzo in that semifinal, but she's our most, most decorated uh, woman golfer living uh, in terms of amateur golf on this side of the pond. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having her on the show very, very soon. But I, if I may just remind people or even just um, inform people that, um, Julie, you won three U.S. amateur championships in a row from 80 to 82. Uh, turn pro, uh, you've won two U.S. Opens and you've won five other majors as well. And uh, you probably should have won three U.S. Opens if I'm, if I'm being... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> pro julie let's not, let's not let's not bring that up <laughs> okay <laughs> we won't. anyway listen i can't uh, bear to cry about it again yeah i know no, i, know, I no. can't either <laughs> okay right. yeah we you've probably been through this on countless road trips 
uh, down through the years. Uh, but I know you're special friends and it's just fantastic to have you on as my first guests on this little voyage uh, of discovery in these uh, bizarre times where we all just need to band together. It is really a, gro- uh, a global issue that just needs a bit of global unity and uh, uniformity of spirit. Um, uh, but let's just finish with uh, a piece of music yeah, because uh, you're not getting away with this, Julie Engster. What are you going to pick and why? Uh, the stage is yours. Well, you know what? Uh, um, I'm going to go with Justin Timberlake, Can't Stop the Feeling, just because it's uplifting. It's got a great beat. People right now need to um, try to get it out, turn, turn the music up, start dancing, and uh, just... Uh, be free. Have fun. Good choice. I love it. Judy Rankin, Hall of Famer, very special lady from Lubbock in Texas. That's where you're talking to us from now. And uh, safe travels back to Midland. And Julie Inkster, uh, regards to your husband, Brian, and uh, your daughters, Corey and Haley. And thank you so much for your time, Hall of Famer, uh, calling in from Los Altos in California, uh, bedding down with an injured knee. Uh, probably good timing there, but you're, you're very good on the old timing, uh, Julie. Yeah. Goodbye, Shane, and stay well. Um, I hope we uh, maybe we get a chance to do this again if we're still um, sitting tight a month from now. Yeah, I promise to check in on you, and I think the listeners will be very curious to see how you're getting on because we all need to kind of band together. And uh, same with you, Julie. You're very special ladies in golf and in life, and thank you once more for, for joining me on this. It means a lot. Shane, thank you, and also... Uh, People probably know my or don't know my daughter is living in uh, Dublin, Ireland right now, and Shane and his family have uh, taken her and her boyfriend in and uh, had some dinners. And I appreciate you taking great care of them. Thanks. Uh, Shane. We'll, we'll continue to do that. But they they're independent spirits. I think they're they're comfortable with their laptops now in their apartment, <laughs> just south of the river. But they know that the uh, the door is always open. The welcome mat is always out. Anyway, thank you very much, Julie, and thanks again, Judy. Take care of yourselves. Really, take bye care bye. of yourselves. Bye bye. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. All from my city, all from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off it. Moving so phenomenally. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good. 
Now the subject of horse racing is um, is very personally connected to so many people in this country and indeed worldwide because the Irish horse travels travels very well and has an incredible history. Um, with regard to my own personal history, um, growing up in Clonmelan County, Tipperary, but uh, originally from Grange in, in uh, Tipperary, just about five miles outside of the town, uh, that's where my grandfather uh, eventually settled having started with nothing and built up a wonderful farming business. And like so many people of the era in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, he was a, a farmer. He was a, a horse breeder. He was um, just a man with a lot of fingers and a lot of pies and a fascinating character. And my one regret is that I never actually um, recorded an interview with him because it was just, I don't know, uh, he died in 1994 and his name was Johnny O'Leary and he had a, he was a cattle dealer effectively and he had his, I think he was one of the first people in South Tipperary to have a cattle lorry and uh, there is a legend that there was a song written about it, Johnny Larry's lorry, but he was a very popular man and he loved his racing and as a little boy he would bring me to the races in Clonmel or Tremor and Goran Park and different places. And that was a real treat to me because he would always have access to the owners and trainers and just the the big pots of tea and the, the buns and just looking at the jockeys in the way room and just down in the parade ring. And those are just wonderful memories for me. And uh, it's almost emotional kind of thinking about it. But um, I, didn't, I didn't kind of develop a, an absolute fascination with horse racing for a variety of reasons um, because of my parents kind of kind of pointing me in different directions. Um, but my parents are big into it and I've uh, worked with uh, the racing community, emceeing Ho- Horse Racing Ireland Awards and stuff over the years and uh, attending many race meetings. But there was one meeting that I actually had personally in 1999. It was July. No, I beg your pardon, it was May. It was after a Bruce Springsteen concert in the RDS in Dublin. And I eventually found myself in a restaurant after that and met with a couple of people who, turns out, were in the racing business. And uh, one of them, uh, who I'm delighted to say is on the line now, is Enda Bulger. And uh, because of the Irish thing of connecting and who are you from, where are you from and who are you, I think within about 60 seconds we had concluded that Enda had ridden horses for my grandfather who had most of his horses trained by Christy Canaan. And that was one of your kind of early forays, I would imagine, Enda, um, working with Christy Canaan up there in Cashel. That's right. Good afternoon, Shane. Yes, indeed. Um, very happy memories in Cashel. Um, lovely place to work. I was only about 21 or 2 at the time. And um, 
I got a great grounding down there as well, and and also um, sitting up on 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 the horse to belong to your grandfather. But I never heard the song of Johnny Leary's Lorry though. <laughs> well, you know, my my father tells me that he heard this song when he was on a a trip to Coventry with Clonmel Commercials, which. He, he was a very strong part of that team back in the 60s and 70s and they, they right. won a lot of county championships but they went over to Coventry and after a feast of pints someone started singing Johnny Larry's Lorry and not that he knew it but that man would become his father-in-law but there you go, that's another story altogether but uh, it's true, he had a cattle lorry he was a cattle dealer dealer, and he was an agent in, in uh, with pigs uh, fascinating fella uh, but horses was that was his true love, and um, that's where these little circles intertwined, and and we discovered that very quickly. Uh, it's just very fond memories for me. That's that, that, that's right, yeah, and um, and he had he had some good ones as well, and and um, and I think he also used to love a little plotter as well on the side. So um, he was a, he was a real true Irish man and a Tipperary man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the one horse that we figured that you had definitely rode for him was Cider and Bun, which he called after a pub in uh, my hometown. I think. <laughs> so he he, he was a colourful dude. And that's that, that's for sure. Unfortunately, I don't think Cider and Bun hit 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 the headlines as much as the song did, but but. Um, but he always had good stuff anyway, so great memories. All right, listen, that's kind of the establishing moment. So bring us up to right now here today. Uh, you are in your yard in Brewery. That's great, yes. Down to Limerick. And um, what's it like for you right now within the Irish um, horse, how would I put this, within the horse racing community? I mean, you're you're very much at the forefront. You're a, you're a trainer. You've... You've you gave up uh, riding some years ago as a you were one of our top amateur jockeys, obviously, but and a champion at that. Um, but what's business like for you right now on the ground? Um, I suppose more like most people that that, that are on the earth at the moment. It's 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 a worrying time. Um, we're we're fortunate that. We're out here in the countryside. You know, you can barely see a house from 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 my house. So, um, we're out and about in the in the fresh air every morning. We have um, six members of staff with us, um, which we could not operate without them, and who have been fantastic through through the last couple of weeks since this thing kicked off. And um, things are different, but we're we're trying to keep it as normal as we can. And like. What's it been like with re- with regard to the community and the sharing of information and the decisions made with regard to how you try to keep things going, how you tend to animals, and and how you kind of keep a business afloat? Well, number one, the, the, the animals have to be looked after. You see, and whether you're a farmer, whether you run a riding school, or whether it's an um, an animal pack or a zoo, the animals have to have to be cared for. And yeah. So, um, to do that, we have to ensure that the staff are number one safe. And and as I say, our people here have been absolutely brilliant. And you know, we've sanitizers and soap, and the, the lads wear mufflers around the yard, and when they're out cantering the horses in the morning time, and just just 
do what we're told to do and follow the rules. And and as I say, we're fortunate that we're out here in 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 the fresh air, which is allowing us to to stay going at the moment anyway. And Horse Racing Ireland, which is kind of the governing body, um, like what is their what is their remit at the moment, you know, with regard to you and your brethren with regard to how you continue or what what is what is their advice to you? Well, we're just we're just getting updates every other day and and, and yesterday they decided to race um for the next couple of days again behind closed doors to see how, how it gets on. Um, they tried it a couple couple of days back and I think the people gave it a thumbs up because everyone followed the protocol and the jockeys weren't even allowed into the changing rooms. They had to weigh in and then they went out and sat in their cars and kept apart and and obviously then when they're out on, on, on the track they're out in the air and, and but there's no mingling like like what the, the normal course is, you know. So um, I think they're just doing their best to try and keep it going for for the foreseeable anyway. And do you mind me asking, because Cheltenham has just concluded and it went ahead as normal, uh, they have a different approach to most countries in the UK at the moment, which is, I don't know, some it's, it's somewhat alarming, but uh, the festival went ahead and there were a lot of dissenting voices saying that it shouldn't have. Um, how did you feel about the whole thing? Well, I mean, the BHA just told us to travel, to come, that they, they were happy. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't hide from it or anything. I, I went and, um, and um, you know, I was there for two days. Again, there were hand washers all over the place. Um, they'd done their, their utmost. And um, Touchwood, I think, was all back in one piece as well. So, you know, I I know that's, that's probably open for a debate, but um, it went ahead anyway, you know. Mm. A successful festival for you, or how busy were you at it? We weren't very busy. We weren't expecting a whole lot, but it wasn't. It it, it 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 was a great meeting for the Irish horses, and um, as I say, we were told by the, the British horse racing that they were going to um, kick on, and and, and and we we followed suit. Okay, um, if you don't mind me asking, how many times as a trainer, how many winners have you had at Cheltenham? Um. Well, at the Cheltenham Festival, I'm lucky to have nine. Nine. And as a jockey, Ender? Um, <laughs> Come on, Jack. Not, not, <laughs> not, not, not as good as record. I, I, I managed to sneak one as, as a writer at the festival in, in, in the Fox Hunters back in 96. In 96. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that must have been a personal high for you. That was obviously, uh, I would imagine, a dream come true. Well... You know, Cheltenham is, is, is the highest you can go on anyone's CV list, whether you're a breeder, an owner, a rider, a trainer. That is the place where you want to get your your name up in lights. And I was lucky it happened to me. And, and you know, it's after happening to a lot of other people last week as well. And it's, it's on their CV. And that's as good as you can be it's, it's to have a winner at Cheltenham. And, you know, everyone strives to, 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 to do that. As I say, whether it's a breeder, they'd love to have a, 
after breeding the foals and the dream is for them always to go to Cheltenham and 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 once that comes out like it's it, that's that's the best feeling in the world but it's also that's the best you can be once you win at Cheltenham yeah. that's that's there forever like well I have to end on a personal note um the aforementioned Johnny O'Leary he did breed um a horse called Bally William Boy who won the Gloucester hurdle in 1970 um before I was born but that was that was our one highlight, I think, as a family, yeah. and we still trade on it today. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think the great Paddy Slater playing them. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that's 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 their concrete chain. So you can is. never, you can never <laughs> let that go. <laughs> and thanks a million for being uh, on my maiden voyage uh, of the podcast. You're a special friend, and uh, you're a very important man in Irish horse racing. Um, Look, what we always try to do and what I intend to do is every guest that comes on, they'll pick a piece of music on this particular format. Um, now, I have a fair idea what you're going to pick or who you're going to pick, but not exactly what song. So um, perhaps you'd kind of pick it and I will get it up on the computer and play it for you. What's it going to be? Well, Shane, I think at, at the present moment, I think everyone uh, needs a lift and... I think every time I hear the song, I get shivered up my spine. So I'm going to ask you to play Born to Run from Bruce Springsteen.
You're listening to Shano on the radio. That was the uh, jingle I used to have as a kid DJ, uh, which I resurrected in a box during the week when I was trying to figure out how I would actually approach this podcast series. And this is The Maiden Voyage, and I hope you're enjoying it so far. And, you know, talking to a couple of global icons in golf who are exceptionally strong women, Judy Rankin and uh, Julie Inkster, uh, just fantastic to get their perspective and I think we should continue in that vein um, because my next guest is a, is an Irish sporting icon and I mean that sincerely because sometimes women in golf don't get the coverage that they deserve and we have um, an array of talent in that regard and uh, I've written about it in the past I love covering women's golf I come from a golfing household where my mom was the golfer and, if I'm honest, is still the golfer in the family. So it is just a terrific privilege to have my next guest on the show. And just to give you a brief outline of her achievements, she was uh, runner-up in the Irish Amateur Championship as a youngster in 2002 when she lost to Martina Gillan. She then appeared on the Irish team, the senior women's team uh, that year and uh, was part of the winning home international side. Uh, then just kind of galvanized her thoughts and her ambitions and I'm delighted to say then just absolutely got it together and in a period of a couple of years she had some stellar successes when I say that she was the well one of the key members of the Great Britain and Ireland team that won the Curtis Cup here in Ireland in 2016 that would be a fact it is a fact and if I said to you that she also played um, for the Vagliano team, uh, which is Great Britain and Ireland versus continental Europe, and was part of a successful team there. She was also a part of a, a very successful home international team in 2017 when Ireland won. And I think probably the highlight, though, was individual success in 2017 when she claimed the Irish Women's Amateur Open title at Baltre, which is effectively the home of of golf in Ireland. You look at the likes of Philomena Garvey, who is Ireland's greatest ever golfer. She comes from there and Clary Redden even before that. So there's this rich history in Baltray uh, from men and women. And when they started hosting the Irish Women's Amateur Open, uh, I think you may have been the first winner. Is that right, Maria Dunn, at Baltray? That is correct. Right. <laughs> so I, that. No, that was, it was it was the first year. It was the first year of um of it being held in Beltray. So that was a rambling intro, but you've done a lot. <laughs> it's just been a, a fantastic couple of years and um you know, I just enjoyed every minute of it and, and now I'm kind of enjoying my um retirement in a different way, I suppose. Because you are working uh with the CGI, correct? Yes, the Confederation of Golf in Ireland. So I'm the uh, Women and Girls Coordinator um, for CGI. Um, and I um, joined there just uh, about a month after I officially retired um, from international golf. And um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a great past couple of years. Your lowest handicap has been what? Still plus three. Still plus three, even in your retirement. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at the moment how well I could keep it up. But you know what? I, I played nine holes in Scary's of the day, and um, 
I had nine bars and I was delighted with that because I haven't I haven't been in the course in um, in, a, in a good while. Um, my little daughter at home, she's a year and a half. She keeps me um, busy as does the job. So my golf has kind of taken a back burner um, in the last few years. But um, yeah, different time of life for me. You, uh, I, I, lo- I do love your social media. I love uh, following you on Twitter and uh, Instagram in particular with your daughter. And it's very real and it's authentic and it's you and... It's not, you, yeah. you don't talk about your achievements, which, you know, a, a decent person would never do that. It's up to others to kind of do that. And I hope I'm trying to do you justice, but yeah. you, you've had a remarkable <laughs> life, Maria. I know, I, I really have. I've been um, very fortunate to, um, you know, achieve the things I have, but only, you know, through the help of others, uh, mainly my coach, Roger Yates, uh, who I started taking lessons off when I was 14 and um, the ILGU, their high performance setup, um, you know, that's been incredible getting to work with all the um, professionals that they um, they work with there and, and to help you in the different areas. And, you know, you know, you have all this help, but a lot of it is to do with your, your, your own drive and determination. Yeah. And, and I guess in my latter years, um, I suppose the running joke is that I peaked in my 30s and uh, yeah. that's that's what that's what happens. I got on it uh, on the Curtis Cup team when I was 32, and um, I was just really enjoying my golf, you know, now and then more than ever. Um, so it was it was easy. It, like in terms of I, I had no stresses. It was kind of like well, if it happens, it happens. If if, if that makes sense, it was uh, I wasn't under pressure by anyone, and uh, you know I just worked hard. And if it happened, it happened, and that's all I could have done, and that's what happens really. So. So in effect, you got out of your own way. Yeah, I, I did actually feel that I was in my own way, especially in my college years. Um, I kind of had high expectations of myself and I would be disappointed with results and um, I'd get in my own way in my head. I'd be down, if you know, if I bogeyed the first one or two holes in a round, I'd be, you know, uh, mentally I wasn't as strong as I as I am now. I'd yeah. nearly, you know, you'd nearly throw the towel in and where in my latter years there was always a way back if I was two down in a match you know on the 15th I didn't care I was like still fighting and a lot of times that fight got me to win a match on 18 or go down 19 or whatever it was yeah um so I just think my 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 kind of mindset changed as I as I got a little bit older and more mature and you know I, I appreciated um the fact that I was working full time and I was still able to um, play in these tournaments and travel the world. But mind you, I was taking annual leave from my job to go play in these tournaments, but yeah. I was really appreciative of the fact that the ILGU was sent to me to Peru to play the South American Amateur in Lima, who, and I'd never been to South America before yeah. in, in January, and that was January 2015. And I kind of got there and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I should be in work right now, but I'm here. And I made the most of it, and I nearly won that tournament. I finished second, but it was it was plain sailing for me. I just really appreciated the fact that I had these, these opportunities going on in my life and uh, they weren't going to last forever. And I knew that I didn't have any desires to go pro, but I did want to uh, achieve everything I could in the amateur game. And, you know, I suppose just hard work and determination um, helped me along the way as, as well as the support from my, my, my family and my coach and the ILGU. Yeah, uh, Roger's done a great job. I like following him on social media. He's been associated with St. Anne's. I'm not sure exactly where he is now. 
he is the, the general manager in St. Anne's and uh, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be the player I am today. I can guarantee you that. He's okay. done so much for me. He's, um, you know, he's he's, supposed to be, he's my mentor as well as my long-term coach and, and friend. So he, he's done an awful lot for me um, in my whole playing career. Cool. And can I ask you, like, because you've now kind of transferred your talents and your drive and your determination to developing the youth of today and those incredible girls who are coming through in golf and golf for girls is on the rise. Um, yes. You know, how, how does it manifest itself with regard to you and your your personality with regard to how you do what you do, given what you've experienced in your own private and public life? Yeah, well, um, like I, I, like I get it. Like when I, I was, a, I was a thirteen, fourteen year old trying to, trying really hard to um, progress and lower the handicap and move up the levels, play for Leinster, and then I fortunately get picked on an Irish under sixteen team, which kind of gave me the drive. So I get the experiences that they, um, the younger girls, are going through now, um, and they, they're having their ups and downs, whether they like the sport or whether it's work. Um, keep working hard for and stuff like that. So you know, I I I, I can speak. I speak to provincial teams and stuff like that, and I can give them my experiences as a golfer and what it was like for me and things that helped me on my journey. Um, I'm not saying that these girls I'm speaking to have to be the next Curtis Cup or GB and I players because that's you know a level that not very many people get to play at. But you know, if if their goal is just to play for for um, their their province or for Ireland, um, I'm I'm trying to help them along the way in, in, in that journey as well, um, and then for the younger girls that are just at grassroots level that are taking up the game for the first time, um, I'm just there encouraging them and you know for my work for CGI I, I set up different events, uh, they're aimed at the festivals that we run for Golf Girls for Life are aimed at um, girls that don't have handicaps but are members of clubs. And they just want to go, you know, we want to get them involved in a social aspect, make it fun for them. And they have a fun day out and um, they enjoy the experience and then they can go back to their own club. And, you know, the, the, the hope is that they, they continue on their, their love for golf and um, play regularly throughout the summer or what may, you know, follow on from that. So. Yeah, it's just the real trick is to try and keep them in it as um, I like we're experiencing with our daughter, I'll be honest with you, who is 13 and kind of has been exposed to golf for a long time. But now she's handicapped and she's got uh, in in golf and she's got uh, a taste of it. But she's distracted by everything else. You, that 13 year old you, girls are distracted, you know. Yeah, you've, you've got her hooked. Well, you know, the, the earlier you start um, kids in sport, in any sport, it doesn't have to be golf, but, you know, like what we try to do is like we do a lot of school um, taster sessions as well throughout the country. You're trying to make golf their first sport rather than their second or their yeah, third. Yeah. Um, and if it is their first sport, it's more likely that they that, that they will stay in it um, and um, and enjoy it. And we have the Golf Girls for Life program in in the CGI, so it's a it's a four step um, program these booklets that we have uh, designed they're to, to help the kids. They fill them out. Uh, they're little journals. Um, and the, by the end of the four stages, basically the goal is to get their, their handicap. Is it 36 for girls or 28 for boys? Uh, so we have a girls and boys um, resources um, for kids to help them out along on their journey. 
Cool. All right. It's it's uh, it's great to be involved in that re- regard, isn't it? I mean, for you, I'm sure it was like the dream job opportunity when it came about. Yes, it, it really was. It's, um, I, I had already decided that I um, I wanted to retire um, from international golf and kind of the, the job got posted um, on online and I went for it. And I mean, the timing was, was perfect. I, I really wanted to be, I was working in golf anyway. Uh, in a in a different um setting but i wanted to get involved um more and i'm very thankful for uh being able to give back to um to the country um in the sport that i love so greatly yeah, brilliant um just really on the topical kind of nature of things at the moment um how are you dealing with uh covid19 and uh, all uh, that is ensuing yeah, well, at the moment, uh, like most people in the country, we are working from home. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of things that we had planned um, in the coming weeks are now cancelled um, in terms of, uh, I suppose, next week, Monday, I was supposed to be up north um, working on a programme for the Open Legacy. Um, so we were involved with clubs and schools um, doing taster sessions all next week. That's cancelled. Um uh, leaders courses that we um, were involved in um, this year so far that they, they, they've been cancelled and you know who knows what the latest update will give uh, I know the ILG and the GUI made a statement earlier on regarding um, tournaments and events um, for April and everything's cancelled in terms of their um, their schedule for the whole of April so it's, it's difficult times for everybody but you know um, every sport is suffering, I suppose, but we're very lucky with golf, playing golf that we can still participate, um, obviously keeping social um, interactions to a minimum and um, abiding by the by the HSE uh, guidelines and the government guidelines and stuff like that. We're, we're very fortunate that golf is a sport that we can still, still currently yeah. play. And, um, you know, I, I the other day played with my dad and really enjoyed it I hadn't played it and played with him in a long time but it was the only way we kind of got to interact in the last couple of days and that was on the golf course so that was great I'm I'm just reminded of your dad when I met him and yourself first in Ratsala I'm trying to remember what that event was or what launch it was, it was. The, it was it was the Irish stroke play and it, it was about 2003 or four um because I was a college student so I remember coming back to play in it um but yeah my dad um he's been great he started me in golf he's um you know I, I would say very good golfer himself yeah. but I came from a, a a good family there was never any pressure on me yeah um I never had my dad and my mum doesn't play golf so if I told her I shot 80 or 765 like she wouldn't know the difference she'd just think I'm wonderful no matter what but, <laughs> yeah good good you know my dad would always come uh, especially when I was playing in my teenage years obviously I needed someone to drive me to these tournaments and yeah. um finance them and and whatnot and he was great and you know he's never there was never any pressure for me you know I remember him telling me a story recently I came out of Blackbush Golf Club in the Leinster Championships and uh, I was about 15 or 16 and he said I cried all the way home because he was beaten in the first round mm. and he just said what does, it, what does it matter and I was just like well he's kind of right like so yeah. <laughs> you know he wasn't 
sitting there going, what, what, what did you do? You, you know, you didn't play that, that well or have you been practicing or any of those things? He, he's never been like that. You know, he's just been like, oh, well, sure, there's always another round. And to be honest, there, there always was. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate to, to not have any pressure from home when I was competing. And I think that kind of made me the person I am today. And um, I think if my daughter takes up golf uh, in years to come or any sport, um, I'll never be a pushy parent either. I'll let her try whatever she wants. And if she doesn't like it, then so be it. She's tried it and, you know, that's all you can do. Uh, what are your parents' names? Uh, Damien and Maria. I am named after my mum. <laughs> Great. Yeah, they sound terrific. And yeah, how are they yeah, doing they at are. the moment? How are they doing? They're they're okay. They're, um, they, they only live about 30, 40 yards from my own front door. Um, so it's, you know, you know, I I normally have regular contact with them, be it calling into them with my daughter, or you know, my mum would regularly mind um, Mila once a week for me, or once or twice a week. So that's kind of not happening at the moment. So I'm kind of communicating with them through through their window. I'll I'll bring Mila down and in the pram and sit outside and chat with my mum and stuff like that. So it is it's difficult, but it's for their own health that. Um, neither Mila or any of their grandchildren are, are coming near them and we're just keeping our distance because they're 70. Um, my dad's 71, my mum's 69, so, you know, they're a, a vulnerable age, so I think mm. we're, we're just doing all we can to keep them health, uh, happy and safe and uh, yeah. healthy, so that's, that's the main thing and I think that's the, the only thing people can do at the moment until hopefully, you know, we we just need to flatten the curve, Maria. We need to flatten the flatten trajectory. The, the trajectory needs absolutely, to be flattened. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'd like to see it on track, man, just flat, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's a perfect way of saying it. Yeah. Tell me this um, very quickly before we finish. Uh, okay, so plus three is your current handicap. Plus yeah. three is your lowest ever handicap. I think you've, doing, yeah. you've done very well. Um, I have. <laughs> You get no shots really on the uh, high indexes, do you? I mean, you're useless no, in Stableford or team. I'm useless. Um, I have to give back free shots on uh, Scary's Golf Club, uh, on the on the course in Scary's Golf Club. Um, and then I have joined a society which, well, currently is postponed at the moment. It's um, in a, a local pub in Scary's and I'm the uh, first female member of it ever. So. Look at you. You're breaking yeah, down so barriers, I, I, Maria, every I'm day. Breaking down. Yeah, I, I played I played as a guest last year, and um, two of my sister's boyfriends are members in it, and they've been get, trying to get me to join. And Good. I said, yes, I'll definitely join this year. But played and as, you're as the best guest, golfer there, so they need to well, learn from yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I'm the only female that's ever played in any one of their events, so um, breaking down barriers. Good stuff. You're kicking ass, Maria. Kicking yeah, ass. Um, tell me very quickly, favorite golfer on the planet? Who is he or she? I have to say Annika Sorenstam. She like someone that I looked up to um, you know, all through my playing career and um and Suzanne Pedersen as well. Um I can I tell you a funny story? Yeah, please. <laughs> please. The, the the floor is yours. The floor is mine. So um, I'm watching the Solheim talk at home with my sister who doesn't play golf. And I'm obviously very excited because I can see everything that's happening. Bronte, my former Curtis Cup teammate, has just won her match on 17. And within seconds, Suzanne Pedersen has a push. 
to win it. To, and it was such, as we all know, mm. such a quick turnaround from defeat to, to victory. And I'm nearly jumping up and down on the couch. And my sister's kind of wondering, why is she getting so excited? And I explained to, Suzanne, uh, explained to Michelle, my sister, that Suzanne had a baby and that she, you know, probably people were yeah. questioning why she was selected on the team and um, having not played very many events. Um, but obviously Katrina Matthews picked her as the captain's pick and, you know, she has the winning push and whatnot. And she, my sister said to me, oh, well, will you come out of retirement then? And I was just like, yeah, it was really inspired. I was just like, maybe, maybe I will. Like Good. for five minutes. And then we watched the press conference and she told us that she was retiring. Pedersen, and I was like, well, that's that then. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but you I'll retired stay, at the top. You know retired. what it's like. You know what it's like. I mean, you retired at the very top. I did, I did. So I, I can't complain, and I'm I'm in a happy place now. So yeah, brilliant. Well, listen, um, it's just always a thrill to talk to you, and I respect Thanks, you James. enormously. And keep doing what you're doing with uh, junior golf, and particularly with girls golf, you're an inspirational figure. And can I just say as well? Um, look, you've done so much, and I I just hope people get to know you better through this because you deserve it. Thank you. And what I do with every guest is I get them to play, to pick a piece of music. So um, I did tee this up with you, and I'm not entirely certain what you're going to pick, but the floor is yours once again. What is the piece of music you would like to play for us? Okay, well, I thought about it, um, and I'm going to pick Bruce Springsteen, Waiting on a Sunny Day. Um, it's was one of the songs that helped me on my journey. Um, the day that I won in the in Beltray in the Irish Truck Play in 2017, I played it all the way from my house uh, in Scaries to Drada. When I got to the first, you know, base on my practice, uh, on my warm up and everything, it just kept me really happy and motivated. Mm. And um, one of my very good friends reminded me that day to just enjoy the walk because I was leading by one going into the last round. And, you know, I felt the pressure, but she just said, enjoy the walk. And that song um, helped me re- remember just to enjoy it because it's only a game of golf at the end of the day. And in, I suppose, in, 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 in this uh, world we're in right now, we're all waiting on a sunnier day. So if we can just bear that in mind, uh, it, it'll come back and, and everybody will be okay.
amazing who you meet in airports if you just say hello every now and again and I happened to be out in Dublin airport on St. Patrick's Day filming for CNN and after a quite a bizarre trip to the city centre where it was barren um, but me and the crack crew from CNN were just filming b-roll and uh, doing a few interviews and um, just everyone was kind of just dealing with the fact that there was nothing going on, which was the first time in history, I would think. Now, there may have been other instances, but not certainly in my memory. But um, it was a global issue as well. So it was fascinating. Actually, I was heading to my car in the car park just across from Terminal 2 and uh, jumped into the elevator, as they say in the States, the lift, as they say over here, and... Uh, a couple in green t-shirts and other green paraphernalia uh, were in the elevator with me and I just noticed the green, commented on it and then began a conversation. Uh, this couple uh, were struggling to get a flight back. They had called to the American Airlines desk, as I recall, and uh, there was no one there. And if you have problems with American Airlines, you're not the only one. 
Uh, I think we've all had experiences with that airline in some shape or form over recent times. And it's a great pity because uh, they just don't look after people as well as they should, in my opinion. However, the couple that I met have uh, found themselves back home, uh, getting home eventually uh, to Knoxville in Tennessee. And they join me on the line, Mike Rogers and Betsy Peters. Hello there. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? Excellent, now that we're home. How oh, much better. And <laughs> how, how much of a circuitous trip was it to get home, guys? It was an effort. Uh, it was quite an effort. Um, the the flight changed a few times. Um, we ended up being delayed coming out of London to Dallas, and that caused us to miss our connector back home to Knoxville, Tennessee. So we had to stay overnight um, down there, and then we got up again really early this morning, uh, but made it back home finally. So we were actually supposed to leave today, but we are we'd been notified that the flight had been canceled. So we wanted to make arrangements to get home sooner just to make sure that you know we could get home and be where we needed to be. Um, but yeah, there were some trials and there were no employees at the American Airlines to help. So <laughs> that that was a little bit. That caused a little bit of fear and panic, I think, that was unnecessary. Um, but we made it, and luckily we had a travel agent that was able to make arrangements the following day. She just said, get to the airport. We've got a flight, but you just need to be there. So, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a little, little nerve-wracking. I can only imagine. But we... <laughs> We uh, made the best of it. Yeah, good for you, because you sounded like you were going to make the best of St. Patrick's Day as well, given the uh, awkwardness of the situation and the difficulty in trying to renegotiate a flight or even sort out something like a flight. But in our brief conversation, I just uh, recall you saying that, uh, well, you were going to perhaps down a few Jemisons or, or something of that type of thing. Or a small bottle. <laughs> or a small bottle, okay, right. <laughs> and I regret not saying to you that you should head out to Port Marnock Hotel and Golf Links because that actually, that that hotel and that building is the original home of the Jemison family. But yeah. next time. Well, that that's the plan, yeah. Now, We're going to come back again. Tennessee has its own uh, whiskey. It's a thriving industry in your state, isn't it? That's right. It sure is. Uh, Jack Daniels, uh, Middle Tennessee. Well, yeah, I've been known to drop a few of those. All right, and uh, I think there's, there's, there's plenty of those out there uh, who would uh, share the same libation uh, for a good night out. But um, tell me about your trip to Ireland. What did you do? What did you see? Where did you go? So we flew into Dublin uh, from Philadelphia. The first day, uh, we drove up to Northern Ireland, and uh, Betsy got to connect with some of her distant family up there. A few cousins of hers. Wow. Um, up in uh, Rathbryland or Rathbryland. I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Rathlin Island, uh, just off the Grand Coast. Okay. Yeah, amazing. That's right. It was just beautiful there. Yeah. And the, the, the people were so nice. Uh, her family was just great. Uh, and uh, her cousin showed us around, and we took the whole day just kind of seeing uh, the countryside there and uh, different little attractions and such. But um, after that, the following day, well, we went up to Belfast and stayed overnight. Lovely. Uh, then it was, it was a beautiful city, I'm sure. Uh, we didn't get to get out very much. We, it was late. We were exhausted. Um, the following day, we go up to the northern coast. We were going to go out to Giant's Causeway. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I'm neither of us, neither of us are as sure footed as we would like to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really windy, very rainy that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of drove along the coast, got some great pictures, uh, and then uh, drove down to Galway. Wow, what a drive that was! It was, you know, what a lot of people have said, uh, and uh, one one of the persons that I work with had said, you know, don't don't try to drive so much. You know, there's a lot you want to do, but you know, trust me, don't drive. I I kind of liked it. Um, it let us see a lot more of the country. Uh, and once I figured out how to drive on the left side of the road, yeah, which was, which, which took some adjustment, uh, I finally got, you know, got it down and we enjoyed a lot more. Well, you know, I think uh, that but, actually when you drive yourself, Mike, um, you have more time and you will be able to stop and you're not kind of at someone else's behest. And also I think when people say don't drive, they're just projecting their own fears onto you. And you really need to find <laughs> this thing out for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and he did a really uh, excellent job driving. Wow. <laughs> I will say. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is a bit of a marathon driving from uh, the coast of Antrim down to Galway. But you ended up in a very special place as well. I mean, all of these little places that you visited are memorable, I know. And despite weather, I think there's a beauty in, 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 in that as well, if you can just kind of open your eyes to it. Well, in Galway, when we got there, everything was still going, like everything was still, yeah. everyone was still out and about. The bars hadn't shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to go out that first night, get, get dinner, grab drinks, um, and tons of people were out. And, you know, we were kind of paying attention to the news. Um, yeah, it was an evolving story, wasn't it? And it was rapidly changing. Right. Yeah, and you know, then people from home would be messaging saying, you know, what's what's going on? Are you guys going to be able to get back? And we weren't too concerned, really. Like again, like, oh, again yeah, people projecting their fears onto the pair of you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. we're like, oh, it's fine. We're just which is understandable, but I mean, you had to make the most of it because obviously you've you've saved up for a while to get over here. You had planned. You had kind of had all of this ambition. Yeah, and so we ended up having a great time in Galway. Um, got to go out the following day, went to the water, saw people, you know, taking a little dip. Uh, I thought it was freezing, but, you know, it was it was nice, entertaining. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then I think at that point, though, that next day they had actually closed the schools. Yeah. So, but then we just, we saw all the kids and parents were out, like I said, along the waterway and walking and on their scooters and having a good time. So we just carried on, good. you know. And and it's an interesting comparison. Uh, I'm, yeah. She mentions there that, you know, the, the kids, the parents, they were out. Um, it was very cold. Well, I wouldn't say very cold, but it was cold and windy. Mm. Uh, it wasn't here in Tennessee, you wouldn't call that pleasant conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you have that kind of weather here, people go inside and you don't see them. Like they're in. Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's face it, Americans, when it gets below sort of 60 degrees, they are perished. <laughs> We're yeah. soft. <laughs> yeah, you guys need to toughen up. You just need to get back into the old world mentality. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think that that helped calm and reassure us because everyone seemed happy. Like, yeah. they were just happy going about their business. Um, I, I, I noticed, you know, people were more cautious with opening doors and, yeah, you know, the things that they had been warned about. But it was also, I said, reassuring to us to see that, 
no one was really panicked. So, um, which is such a different side over here, I think. Um, and then where do we go? The Cliffs of? Uh, yeah, we went to the Cliffs of Mower on the way from Galway to Killarney. Got to be yeah. done. Got to be done. So you were, you were that was going beautiful. from yeah from Galway well, down to Killarney. You guys did uh -huh. well. America Americans can drive for for a day and not not even blink. Whereas uh -huh. it's more of a mammoth task for us. So I mean, obviously, um, you know, you're used to driving long distances between cities and whatever. No, that's right. We don't mind driving, and you guys don't mind cold and rain. So there's a balance. There <laughs> yeah, there's somewhere. a balance. I think we're quits. I think this could be one all. Yeah. Um, so you went Cliffs of Moher, stunning. How long did you spend there? Uh, about uh, the afternoon, and had lunch in a little place, the nook right beside it. Um, I think that was the causeway. Or was that the cause? Oh, that yeah. was the causeway. Yeah. So so we did the Cliffs of Moher, and then. Well, I guess we stopped off at a shop and then went on to Killarney, which that was really that we had a nice time there as well. That okay. city was beautiful. Um and stayed at a little B and B there. Um and when we got there he said, you know, he was glad that we were there and because all of his other American um canceled arrivals it. had yeah. been cancelled. Okay. Yeah. So um and we thought, okay, well let's all right, you know, we just kind of took it and said, okay. So, but then they started, we went out to dinner that night. And the following day, eh, the streets were pretty empty. Yeah. So okay. that, it, that it was an evolving and, story yeah. at this stage, and it was rapidly mm -hmm. changing again. Uh huh. So, um, we went to Dingle. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, that was beautiful. Yeah, okay. uh, it's just a, a nice little town. Uh, and again, because of the social distancing um, and the the closed shops, which there, there were several shops that were closed in, in Bingle. There, we, I mean, to we made the best of a, what was turning into a pretty bad situation uh, from a, I guess, a health standpoint because. We were able to go to the shops that we wanted still. We got great food. We could sit and chat with some of the uh, the shopkeepers, um, the the bartenders. It, it was a it was a great time for us. Mm. Well, it Which was. I, I think, yeah. it, like it's a it's a it, the whole thing, and it continues to change. Um, but you seem to knock a good bit of fun out of it, and you got something out of it. Uh, but obviously, you had to curtail it. And now um, you're home. Like I said, though, we're home and. We didn't have to wait terribly long in any line. You know, that's a plus. We went to oh, Blarney Castle. It was empty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We passed the sign that says, you know, from this point, you've got a 90-minute wait. And, no, we just walked <laughs> right up to the stone. Now, kissing the stone was off limits. They, were, they weren't letting you do that. <laughs> I'm so. glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah. You we, just get, get, the, get the photo and get back in the car, Jeannie. No. Yeah. <laughs> we found a random patch of wall uh, yeah, okay. there on the castle and, and thought, you know what? Probably nobody's kissed this. It's got moss all over it. Moss is pretty healthy, I suppose. So we yeah. kissed that. We kissed the wall. Made the best of that. Got a yeah. picture of it. All right. You, you could have. You could have taken a clump of grass or something from the, uh, yeah. the field outside or something. Um, yeah. But touching stuff has just become a no-no in all kind of walks of life right now, and it's uh, it's even more and more important that we kind of behave in that regard. And uh, listen, I, I'm running out of time, but um, first trip to Ireland, or have you been before? Yes. No, this was our first trip, and 
everything was lovely except for the flight back, I'll say. That was a long flight that I was not prepared for. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you what you need to do in future, Betsy. Aerolingus.com. Aer- <laughs> oh, Friend. we've already talked about it. Oh, oh yeah. we have. We oh. have. Yeah. Somebody, I saw somebody on Twitter post uh, that he was flying Aerolingus, and the pilot came on over the announcement and said, um, we're just going to wait a couple minutes. We have two people that we're waiting on. Uh, this isn't going to set us back, so we'd like to see our, you know, uh, our flyers make the the trip with us. And he said, "I'm so glad to be Irish. So proud of Aer Lingus." And I thought, "Yeah, that must be nice." <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, sincerely, I mean, I fly around the the world on different airlines, but there is nothing quite jumping on an Aer Lingus flight, especially if you're in the states or. Uh, even you know in in mainland Europe and you're just flying back, it's like at the minute you step on, just the friendliness of the staff, the cabin crew are amazing. Uh, the pilots are obviously very friendly and they're charming when they come on the mic. But uh, they, there's just a feeling of home for for someone like me who travels a lot. Right. Well, the whole country over there, I think um, we had talked about it. It's it's just a different way of life where it's it's more relaxed and. Half, the glass is always, you know, half full, yeah. it seems like, that, that there's always a better perspective and outlook on the situation. So we actually learned a lot on this trip, I think, and took some mm-hmm. stuff away from it. So Good, um, good. All right, yeah. so overall a positive experience in trying times, but you're home. And mm-hmm. um, can I just say thank you very much. It was lovely to meet you the other day, and I'm glad that we swapped numbers. And here we are having a chat about your experience. And yeah. Hopefully we can do this again. And please, when you come back, um, let us show you some other little scenic routes around the country. For sure. We would love that. Yeah. Now, just to finish, because I do this with every guest, and obviously this is the maiden voyage, but um, and be proud of that, folks, because this may be the last show, (laughs) but I don't think so. Um, (laughs) But if you wouldn't mind selecting a track, um, perhaps something from your home state. Sure. Um, Rocky Top by the Osborne brothers. Um, and this one, the, the reason we had talked about this, the reason we like this one is because we live in Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, of course, and we're huge fans of the University of Tennessee Volunteers. And one of their, uh, it's not their fight song, but it, it's their most popular, well-known song is uh, Rocky Top. And it's uh, based upon a song that the Osborne brothers first did many years ago. Uh, and it's still played and holds a special place here in um, ball country or ball nation as we like to call, call ourselves. Wish that I was on a rocky top down in the Tennessee hill. Ain't no smoggy smoke on rocky top, ain't no telephone bill. Once I had a girl on rocky top, half by the other half cat. Fine as I make, but sweet as
It's amazing when you just say hello to a person in an airport, uh, what conversations it can lead to and um, who you actually get to know. Uh, So it was an absolute pleasure and a privilege in those three or four minutes that we spent together, Mike Rogers and Betsy Peters, as we shared an elevator down to the car park in Terminal 2. And hello to everyone working there, um, because they are the front line dealing with people so efficiently out there and they're doing a terrific job. But uh, Mike and Betsy were trying desperately to get home. Uh, Three kids at home uh, being minded by uh, grannies and granddads and all the rest of it. But um, their holiday was certainly cut short because of COVID-19, but they did manage to sneak in a bit of Ireland and uh, they saw plenty. And I hope they'll be back and we'll certainly keep in touch with them. But... uh, There you go. That is the end of this podcast. A little bit longer than I was anticipating, but, um, you know, I just wanted to give a platform to some very impressive people in my life and people that I've just met, like Mike and Betsy, but uh, to Julie Inkster, Hall of Famer, and Judy Rankin, also in the Hall of Fame, uh, to open up the show. That was kind of special and great to talk to Enda Bulger. Um, very much on the ground and a special part of Irish horse racing. Uh, so thank you very much to Enda, to Maria Dunn, what a lady. And uh, she is someone you need to wire into because she's doing some incredible work in giving back to the youth and to women's golf and to men's golf and working you know, in conjunction with the RNA through the CGI, the Confederation of Golf in Ireland. Um, so yeah, follow her on Instagram and on Twitter. She's a lovely person who is a plus three handicapper, even in retirement, Uh, although very young to retire, obviously, in her 30s, but she's a mom now. And uh, I should also uh, say a big thank you uh, to Mike and to Betsy for joining me on the show as well from their home in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, That's kind of where we're going to leave it. Uh, I'm not sure when I'll do the next one. It'll be soon enough. Um, But if you have any comments, you can leave them on Twitter or on Instagram or on LinkedIn. Uh, via my profile there or whatever that's called and I will try and get the individual clips from the show out individually if you know what I mean so the end of piece will be a standalone later in the week and I'll do the same with all the other interviewees as well so you can have just those specific pieces Um, but it's been a pleasure putting this together and thanks to Sam my man on sound 
And uh, thanks to my wife and kids for patiently leaving me here in the kitchen to just do this. And um, I will be back soon. But I'm going to finish with Van. I started with Van. I'm going to finish with Van. And as we're all adjusting to everything that's going on and as we're all kind of figuring out what we need to do, which is self-isolate and uh, social distance and kind of obey those protocols, um, you know, it's absolutely clear that this is a global thing. And a lot of shutdowns are happening around the world. And I know friends in Italy, uh, terrible times at the moment, Spain, um, and it's coming our way here in Ireland. I know it's happening across the United States as well and elsewhere around the world. So wherever you've been listening to this, um, just look after yourselves and remember that the world is a small place. We're all the same. We all just need two meals a day and some fresh water and some good friendship and banter with our friends and a few bucks in our pocket just to get what we need to get. And uh, a lot of us are kind of on pause with all of that at the moment, just trying to figure things out. But uh, we are effectively an island. One of the most beautiful islands on Ireland's coastline has to be Coney Island, the original. Coney Island. Bye-bye from me. Back from Dan Patrick, stopping off at St John's Point. I all day bird watching, and the crack is good. Stopped off at Strangford Lock early in the morning. Drove through Shigley, taking pictures and on to Kelly. Stopping for Sunday papers at the Lacal district. Just before Coney Island. On and on over the hill to our glass in the jam jar. Autumn sunshine, magnificent and all shining through. Stop off at our glass for a couple of jars of mussels and some potted herrings and in case we get famished before dinner. is good. Heading towards Coney Island. Now look at the side of your face. As the sunlight comes streaming through the window in the autumn sunshine. And all in all time while going to Coney Island, I'm thinking. Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time? Hi there, Sir Nick here, formerly known as Nick Felder the Golfer. Now, you've just been listening to Shano on the radio. My God, that's cheesy. And, of course, that's a niche media production. Now, you never know who's going to pop up on this old show next. So do hang around.